broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. It's game week uh, for the Raiders. It feels really good to say that. And uh, only this time even better because there's actually going to be fans out at Allegiant Stadium welcoming uh, the Raiders for the first time here in their new beautiful market of Las Vegas in their beautiful stadium, Allegiant Stadium. Um, it's going to be great. I can't wait to see what Allegiant feels like, sounds like, is like, uh, can be like in a uh, game time uh, situation. I know it's going to pale in comparison, uh, of course, to the regular season when, when the real lights turn on. But it'll give us a taste on Saturday against the Seattle Seahawks out at, Le- at Legion Stadium uh, what it's going to be like uh, this year. And I know the players can't wait to play again in front of fans. Talking to Corey Littleton yesterday, um, basically he summed it up by saying it's 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 not going to feel like practice anymore you know when you're playing games because honestly sometimes that's what it felt like you can you you, there was just no energy in the building you had to create it um you know uh, on your own through your teammates uh through the situation of the game but that's hard to do the fan the players need the fans that's why it's tough to go into new orleans or seattle or kansas city because the fans make life difficult on the opposing teams and they play a vital role and I know the Raiders are hoping for and expecting Raider Nation to play a huge role this year uh, at Allegiant Stadium. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Robert is in San Jose. How you doing, Robert? Uh, I'm good, Benny. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, the last caller said a uh, number of the things that uh, I wanted to say. Some Raider fans uh, just really irritate me with the Cleo Mac stuff. It's like the girl that got away and just can't get over it. Let it go. You know, it was a long time ago. Uh, as the last caller said, it's not like Chicago has done anything with Cleo Mack. Aaron Donald signed a contract with a quarterback that was on a rookie deal. Cleo Mack signed a contract with a quarterback that was on a rookie deal. And the Raiders and Mark Davis, while they were in Oakland, uh, their value has gone up about $2 billion in Vegas, and there's a little more money in the coffers to signing bonuses. Let's just see what's going on for this year. I wasn't even going to call until next Monday uh, when I saw the product on the field myself uh, before I commented to you. But, you know, I say some of these Raider fans just really irritate me. Uh, I'm looking forward to the game on on Saturday, just Alex Leatherwood and uh, see what the uh, he looks like and what Tanner Muse looks like. I'm uh, going to record the game because, uh, honestly, I'm going to be at the 49er game. My mom's a season ticket holder for them. And I want to see what this Trey Lance uh, hype is about. They're calling him Pat Mahomes 2.0 up here. So on Monday, I'll call you back and give you a report. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you for the call. And just to put it in a little bit better perspective, um, the, the Bears were 8-8 eight and eight last year, which was the same record of the that the Raiders uh, produced. They made the playoffs because the NFC was just weaker a weaker division, save for the uh, Tembe Buccaneers, of course. Um, so they finished in second with that 8-8 and eight record, which is exactly where the Raiders finished in their division, um, only there were better teams in the AFC across, so the Raiders missed the playoffs. Um, you know the drill. Um, and they were the, the the Bears were 8-8 eight and eight a year before that, which was one win better than the Raiders were in, 20, uh, ni- or in 2020. Excuse me, 2019. So it's not like 
you know, Khalil Mack has made this massive difference uh, in Chicago. They're one over the last two seasons. They are they have one more win than the Raiders. You want to go back to uh, 2008 and 18? I'll give it to you. The Bears were 12 and four, but they haven't won. They didn't win a playoff game that, that year, and they and they uh, lost in the wild card again last year while being eight and eight, which is the same exact record that the Raiders had last year. Remember, the Raiders were eight and eight. So again, you just have to you have to look at the bigger picture of things. Uh, I think Khalil Mack is a tremendous player, but as he's shown on the Bears, even on a pretty darn good team, otherwise. You know, um, how much difference does he really make? And I think the Raiders felt like they would be better off by adding a collection of talent for the cost that it would have taken to pay one player. Now, we'll see if it all works out. I think the Raiders feel good about where they are right now and where they are headed. And they believe that they made the right decision, albeit a very, very difficult decision. You don't want to not have ideally the Raiders would have been a great roster. They would have been like the Rams in 2019. They would have had a great roster. They would have been in, um, you know, a, a rare and to go had all bases covered. And yes, you signed Khalil Mack in that, in that kind of a situation, just like the Rams brought back Aaron Donald at $21 million uh, to, to keep him intact and keep a Super Bowl caliber roster intact. The problem is the Raiders weren't close to being where the Rams were from a um, roster standpoint. And so they would have been throwing $21 million, $22 million at Khalil Mack with a whole bunch of holes on their roster. And they didn't believe that that was the prudent thing to do. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Jerome is in Las Vegas. How you doing, Jerome? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for taking my call. You got it, brother. Yeah, uh, I, I need to say everybody is straight. You guys are distracting everything from the, the truth, which is that Khalil Mack, the year we traded him, was the third best player listed by the players in the league. And we didn't get anything for him that year. Including Amari uh, uh, Cooper, too. Both the top five picks. And next year, we got the next year, we got bottom five picks. That's the problem with Khalil Mack. And there's always all these bottom picks. We didn't get anything for him. That's why you get. That's why Chase showed no no more progress because you got nothing. Well, I don't think that I don't think that you can truly answer that question yet and say you got nothing. Um, uh, I think that it takes a while for for draft classes to take hold and to take form, and then you have to put those draft classes in perspective with what you have, what you continually built around them, and uh, how you've built around them. So to say they've got nothing, I, I completely disagree, and I think that the future will explain that better than I can right now because it's all about uh, the future. And to say they got nothing, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, and you have to look at it also. Not everything is just in a vacuum. You can't just look at it from, based on the picks that they got and who those picks ended up being. You also have to look at the fact that the Raiders freed up money uh, and were able to spread that money around, whether it's signing some of their own players, whether it's going out on the free agency market and, and bringing in some help. Uh, you know, uh, where you're bringing in two guys for the cost of what it would have taken uh, to sign one. Um, so it, you have to look at it in totality. You have to look, a football team is is a 53-player, really more than that, but just on the regular roster, 53-man or piece puzzle. And it all has to fit together. And it all has to fit 
under a salary cap. And and so to say they got nothing for him, I think it's way too early to say that they got nothing for Khalil Mack. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Our good friend Eddie is in Los Angeles. Eddie, how are you doing, brother? Doing great. Except for this Khalil Mack deal, it just doesn't never seem to go away. I don't know, <laughs> those must be the same fans that dislike Derek Carr so much. I mean, I, I, I hated it when he, when he was traded. I didn't like it. And, and, you know, I didn't think it was great. But he didn't want to be here. What part of that is that these fans just cannot understand? If he wanted to be here, he would have at least attempted to negotiate or pick up the phone. The guy didn't want to be here anymore for whatever reason. Maybe he didn't want to be a part of a new coaching staff. That's his right, but he didn't want to be here. All this, all the you know, last caller saying we didn't got nothing out of it. His, it's not. It hasn't been written yet, so it's not done yet. Okay, a couple calls before stating facts. What has Chicago done with him? One playoff appearance, no wins. They're still searching for the quarterback. Did they just draft one already? I mean, this, this is the problem that. When you get fans that just want to harp on and hate on something, but not understand the business side of things. At the end of the day, Gruden has to had to make a decision with what he had, what he needed, and what was the best outcome going forward. A player doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to pick up the phone. He doesn't want to negotiate in good in earnest with the with the uh, the franchise that drafted him. Okay, if he wanted to be there, if he if, he, if the Raiders meant anything to him, he would at least pick up the phone. But he did it. He's gone. Get over it. Yeah, and, and and Eddie, I don't know necessarily if you know uh, giving giving Khalil whatever it would have taken to want him to stay would have been worth it, given every all the holes that the Raiders had along their defensive uh, well offense too at that particular time. I don't know if it would have made sense to say, okay, Khalil, here's the blank check, sign you know, write in whatever you want. And we'll pay that to you just to keep you here, to keep you happy. Not sure, Eddie, that would have made sense. Offer him the biggest contract before the end of the season, and he just rejected it? Right. The, they, they did offer him a contract. So this notion is that they, that John Cruden never even reached out and tried to talk to him. It's just BS. They offered him big money. The guy wanted more. So he went somewhere where they gave him more. Now kudos to him. He's got his money over there, and they're going nowhere quick. We, on the other hand, got a brand new stadium. And I'm telling you, what's fans getting? I was at the Mexico-USA game. Obviously, it didn't go the way I wanted, but 61,344 fans were in attendance that game. Okay? It's a soccer game. Nothing compared to football. No, no offense against soccer, but it got nothing on the Raider game. When we pack that thing up, you're gonna, we're going to have something we haven't had. I, I, I don't even know if we've ever even had it. A home field, a true home field advantage. Eddie, you didn't that tell me you were. First loud. of all, what do you think of Allegiant Stadium, Eddie? It is beautiful, awesome. They got a couple things that they need to work on. You know, the lines getting in the stadium were were a problem. Having people cross over the bridge is going to be a problem. But once you're inside, I mean, you're what? You're at a brisk seventy-three degrees in there. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's no lines of seats. There's no bad view. I mean. It was it was just I was walking around screaming Raider fan like Raiders all day with a bunch of Mexico and USA fans looking at me like I'm crazy <laughs> they don't know where they're at but all I could see is Derek Carr coming out of the tunnel Jacobs all of them coming out of there and the fans just erupt I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about how loud that place is going to be I, we're going to rival so many of these stadiums we're going to give everyone a 
run for their money on how loud it can be. And I'm going to tell you, that is going to push our boys over the edge. I, I know it. I know everything is primed up. Look at everything. We're, we've got Monday night. We're going to go against the Ravens. Okay? John Gruden has had the entire offseason to plan against it. I bet on John Gruden giving them that much time to win a game. We, we're going to start the season on the right foot. You're going to, fans are going to just get it. Get it at, I mean, how loud was it? With 25,000 fans. It got, it got loud. Yeah, it, it definitely got loud. And here's another thing, um, Eddie, that, that I'll throw out there. I think players understand that. You know, there was a couple players that the Raiders assigned this year that played here last year and were like, dude, that's a great place to play. I mean, you know, the, the Raiders are set up pretty well here in Las Vegas. With between the practice facility in Henderson, which is second to none, the stadium uh, in Las Vegas, which if I if I'm going to say that it's in second place, it'll only be really uh, to Allegiance or to uh, to SoFi Stadium. SoFi Stadium takes things to a whole other level. It's a different feel to it. It's a different type of situation, and it works for the Rams and it works for Los Angeles. But I think Allegiant Stadium works beautifully and perfectly. Uh, for for the Raiders and for Raider Nation. It's what Raider Nation and the Raiders need. And I'm going to throw this out at you as well. Eddie, I've been up to games at the Oakland Coliseum, obviously living in Los Angeles. Uh, I was there and covered games when the Raiders played uh, at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. No disrespect to either of those venues, um, but I don't feel like either one of those venues will ever be able to match what we're going to see at Allegiant Stadium. I don't think that no. Oakland gave the Raiders a dis- I know I'll, I'm, I know there's going to be a lot of Oakland fans that are like mad at me right now. But I got to tell you like I've been to New Orleans, I've been to Kansas City, I've been to Seattle. I've been places where the home venue is off is on a on a whole other level. The Oakland Coliseum, it was it had a cool little atmosphere. I give you that. There was, uh, you know, the the black hole. I'll give you that. But in terms of making a difference, I don't believe it ever lived up to what I saw in New Orleans, Seattle, uh, Kansas City. I think Allegiant Stadium has a chance to be every bit the home field advantage that those venues are. No doubt, no doubt whatsoever. You're spot on on that. I was there a couple, you know, years ago in 2016 when they had the Sunday night game against the Broncos, and they just ran up the field on them. That place was packed. And it was loud. And all I can think of when I was at the game is that place was loud. It's got nothing compared to what Allegiant Stadium is going to be. And, and one more thing we're not really discussing a lot. A lot, you know, a lot of these practices are taking part really early in the morning, correct? Yes. In order to beat the heat. Okay? That's what we're doing. Isn't that going to translate to help us on those early morning cross-country games where we've always struggled? I, now that we have, uh, these guys, these guys' clock is, is on a whole different level. They're they're going to be used to being up at that time and being out there in these gritty hot places. Now you're gonna you're gonna go to the East Coast and some of those domes, and then they're gonna be at the early morning hours. Their body clock is gonna be well. We're not, we're we're in Vegas. It's a it's probably 95 degrees at seven in the morning. This is nothing. Yeah, you're yeah, right. You're nobody's, nobody's talking about that. I think that with the with the stadium going on, that's going to give us a huge advantage. That's why let you know for all the Raider fans that are out there, please let all the, the East Coast bias radio stations talk all they want because okay? they, they don't want to give us any kind of credit. Fine, we haven't won. Nope. Hey, hey right there, spot on. When we go out there this season, you're going to see a 
totally different team. You will forget about Khalil Mack. You will forget about Cooper. You know, you're going to be in there riding all for the Raiders. That's all we're doing. And when you when you talk about like the East Coast bias and and all that, which I believe to an extent is real, uh, no question about it. We see it in college football uh, a lot of times. Um, that, that 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 we just get forgotten about sometimes here on the West Coast. We get it, we understand it. Uh, but I got to say, there's been some national people who have come through. Um, you know, Henderson uh, yesterday over at Allegiant Stadium, and I think once they finally, you know, it's one thing to be sitting in your home writing about the Raiders eight and eight and just kind of being not lazy, but just having an overview from 3,000 miles away. It's another thing when you get here, uh, like some of these national people have, and they look at the roster and they look at the talent on the field, and they're like, you know what? This looks pretty good. <laughs> it looks it, it looks a lot better than I actually thought it did. And so their tone is changing a little bit. Uh, their narrative is changing a little bit. And so that's why, look, it, we're in a world where in sports it's a prove-it sport it, football basketball whatever it is you got to prove it so the criticism of the Raiders uh, over the last few years in a lot of ways has been earned and I think that people are still holding on to that and until the Raiders literally change that narrative by having success on the field that's how it will remain but I have a sneaky suspicion Eddie that they're on the verge of potentially changing that. I believe the talent is on the field for that to happen. Again, every NFL season is its own journey. There's twists and turns along the Absolutely. way. There's stuff that we cannot, you know, a field goal getting blocked, uh, you know, a crazy weather game, an injury, you know, a key injury or a couple of key injuries. We can't foresee that right now. It's going to happen. Uh, but what the Raiders need to do, because it's inevitable that there will be, it's not going to be a smooth sailing at all, ever. But they just have to be in a better position. I think they're in a better position to handle some of that adversity. Last year was a – I've never seen a team go through what the Raiders went through last year. When you're talking about the injuries that they had, when you're talking about moving a franchise from one city to another in the middle of a pandemic, when you're talking about no offseason, all of that type of stuff really contributed to what happened, some of what we saw on the field. But at the same time, I think there was also a great learning experience um, that, 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 that they went through as well. And I think that there's much more appreciation now for the little things, for, the, for normalcy, for the offseason that they went through and how they were committed to it and engaged and, and um, uh, they wore where their feet were at all times. I sense a, like a more of a maturity now based on what happened last year. And I got to feel like that's going to uh, bode well for them on the field. You know, you know what I, I sense the more of right now, Vinny, is mature, not only maturity, but a sense of hunger and, and a sense of focus that you, you, you didn't really see them all. You saw bits and pieces here. You know, we thought we, we, all, we all said the same thing over and over. The offense was going to have to carry the defense. The defense will probably come on its own somewhere in the middle of the season. And, and it turned out to be the way it turned out to be. But this, the group of players that they assembled, the coaching staff, the way they're talking, the way they're going about it, the way they're, they're attacking, I mean, it, 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 it just it sets us up to be a lot better prepared. They still have to go out and play the games, granted. They still have to go out there and prove it so everybody else can shut up. There, there, there is no mistake in that. There, nobody can say that, that us Raider fans are, are, are thinking these guys are going to come out and be 17-0. and 0. It's, just, it's just not in the cards for that way. We want to, but it, it, you, you just can't plan for that. 
However, for the, for them to come out and say that we're going to be the seven and seven team or another eight and eight or nine and seven at best, I, I mean, I, I just can't believe it with with what we've seen. Where are we on offense that we weren't two years ago? Okay, what do we have now on defense that we didn't have last season? We have a better coaching staff and we have a lot more talent and depth. We didn't have depth last year. You had guys going going crazy playing the amount of snaps, and they were tired towards the end of the game. I mean, the, the, uh, when Gerald you McCoy game, is fourth on your depth chart right now. <laughs> what does that tell you right there? Exactly. What does that tell you? Exactly. What do we have? So, okay, when's the last time? Please tell me, when's the last time somebody took a discount to come to the Raiders? Uh, it's been a long time, and that's a you, you you that's a great point that you just brought up because dudes wanted to come here and play. Guys want to come here and play, and I talked to two defensive coordinators throughout that process that didn't get the job that wanted to be here, and I asked them, and they were prominent names. Trust me, they were prominent names, and I asked them why? Why the Raiders? Because they've got talent. There's, there's The cupboard is hardly bare. There's talent to work with, and there's a commitment. They understand that there is a commitment. I know um, it may not have ever looked like that before. Sometimes, um, you know, uh, because of situations and what stadium they were playing in and, and all that, but there's a commitment to win, and I think there's a, an appreciation for that uh, across the league. And two prominent defensive coordinators that desperately wanted that job felt like there was enough to work with on def- the defensive side of the ball. And like that, like I said, that commitment, which came to fruition uh, during the draft and free agency this year, to get even better. So uh, good call, Eddie. You know that I always appreciate when you call from Los Angeles. Uh, always appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. We're going to go right back to the Raider Nation uh, listener line and welcome in our good friend, Gangster Raider. How you doing, Gangster Raider? I'm all right, Vinny. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Excited. I can't wait. There's a football game on Saturday over at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are coming to town, so uh, look forward to see where the Raiders are uh, to start their preseason. I think they're in a pretty decent place, but we're going to uh, get a, a first chance uh, to see what it looks like on Saturday against the Seahawks. Yeah, I agree, too. That's why I'm kind of upset with you and um, JT the Brick because it seems like to me it's like y'all – conceding the division already and i think that we can win the division and you and um jt seem like yeah we just playing for the wild card already but i think we can win the division you know what i'm saying just like we split with kansas city last year that wall didn't jump that that pass late in the fourth quarter on third down and if able is able is in position is in position when um chelsea catches that touchdown we beat them we sweep them you know what i'm saying and possibly go on to win the division last year gangster now, raider I'm yeah. loving the positivity. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking, no, stop playing, thinking, try <laughs> putting it out there that we're playing for a wild card. We could actually win a division and go on into the um, playoffs as a um, top seed, anywhere from one to four. And I, I definitely I definitely hear you. Um, you know, I, I got I to, gotta, you know, keep it real. It's just... You know, until I see it, I got to see it before. I mean, I do, we saw it last year. We did, shouldn't we have swept them last year? Honestly, if if Abram makes that play and if Waller doesn't drop that third down pass late in the fourth quarter, do we not sweep them last year? Yes. With a with a, with a, with a um also awful, awful defense. 
Yes, no doubt about it. Now let's 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 be honest about this, okay? Um, when the Raiders go back to elite or uh, go back to Arrowhead Stadium, and I know the same is going to be the case uh, on the back end. But when they go to to Arrowhead Stadium, you know, I was there last year. It was pretty quiet at at uh, mm-hmm. Arrowhead Stadium. I had been there the previous year. It was deafening loud. So there, there's going to be some adjustments, you know, when the Raiders go to Kansas City. Same this with year. our crowd when they came to Vegas. Totally there agree. No crowd there. Totally you agree. I mean? Yes, and I and, and they won't know what to expect. You right. know what I mean, they they don't know what to really expect. They play in the building, but they haven't played in front of a Raider Nation, a gangster Raider Nation. I agree. You know what I'm saying? I, I agree. I'm not. You know, hey, like I said, uh, and like I've been saying, saying every season unfolds unto itself mm-hmm. you know so so uh i believe the raiders have a playoff can i caliber. ask you one more question yeah go ahead who looks the best out of so far because you've been to practice live right yes every practice who looks the best or not the best what's the word i'm looking for? who looks the most promising on defense out of all um phases out of yeah if you had to pick one player you know that's either a newcomer that's been there or whatever who looks the most promising and look like who can contribute the most this season on defense, uh, just from your your opinion. I'm not from your I, eye test. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, brother. Uh, I'm not. I'm not running from that question. I honestly feel like um, there's there's a player or two at every level this year that has a chance to be a. You know, uh, I could go as far as either a difference maker or somebody that's just going to provide really good, solid football. Unlike. The last couple of years, I feel like Trevon Morig has a chance mm-hmm. to be a special uh, free safety. I feel like uh, Unique Ngakwe and Max Crosby, uh, and I believe Clee Farrell coming off the bench now. It looks like, but he's going to get uh, heavy rotation um, and and be utilized in a, in a correct kind of way. Uh, I think Solomon Thomas has looked good in training camp. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the linebackers are in much better position, and the way they're, li- I, I, I'm looking at the way. Gus Bradley is scheming things up and how guys are being used. I've seen, you know, Malcolm Kuntz yesterday, it would have been a sack in a regular, you know, if it was it was if it was a regular situation, coming flying off the edge, not in a three-point stance, but upright. You know, they've they've played unique in Kakwe uh, as an upright defensive end. I'm seeing so many different combinations and variations uh and scheme looks uh that that you didn't see last year. Now on one hand, you say, okay, but I thought the, the playbook was simplified. I think the playbook <laughs> itself is simplified, but I think the utilization and where guys are going to be coming from it looks completely different than it, than it did last year. I think it's going to be cr- more creative. I think it's going to give the offenses a lot more to think about, and I think it's going to put a lot of guys uh, in, in great position to do well. I think Trayvon uh, Mullen has looked good. I think Damon Arnett's looked good uh, in, in training camp, so don't write him off whatsoever. I think he's going to play a lot. He may not start, but that's okay. you got Casey Hayward to kind of hold it down as a veteran, and Damon uh, Arnett can watch and learn and still play. Uh, a lot. I think Nate Hobbs has looked good. So um, it's. I think you know we'll see about Jonathan Abram. The coaches believe that you know he's got a chance to to really get it turned around this year. I love the more maturity that I'm seeing uh, from Jonathan Abram. You know I'm not a big guy on you know what color hair you have or I'm a free spirit and I I love people to express themselves. But I but I do believe 
in a way that Jonathan Abram was trying to put the cart ahead of the horse. Uh, he was trying to do his off-field personality thing, which I think every player has a right to do. But you have to back it up by playing well on the field. Otherwise, everything else is meaningless. And as Ron Milas, the defensive, uh, the, the new secondary coach, talked about, hey, we just asked Jonathan to turn it down, turn down the volume just a little bit, uh, which means, hey, focus on the field uh, and then and then create a great situation for yourself by being a good player, a great player, and then don't, you know, have some fun off the field, uh, express yourself, be that kind of personality, but it has to happen on the field first. And the m- more mature attitude uh, that he's expressed so, so far, it looks like he's gotten the message. And if he's gotten the message, you figure that's going to help him on the field where he's playing a position now uh, that's more conducive to what he brings to the table and also masks some of the areas where he's not as efficient at. There's no, there's very rarely a perfect player. Uh, players do things really well, and there's some things that they don't do so well, and you got to coach it up and coach around uh, some of the deficiencies to try to get the most out of the player and what their uh, biggest strengths are. So I think Jonathan Abram playing closer to the line of scrimmage is going to allow him uh, to be an asset where he's an asset in terms of run support defending uh, the pass in shorter spaces, smaller spaces, I should say, being able to be activated as a pass rusher coming off, um, you know, on, on, on blitz situations. So honestly, I'm being, I'm trying to be honest here. There's nobody that, uh, that I can single out in that regard. There's a whole bunch of guys. Now, the biggest question is going to be, and we're going to start to get a idea of that come Saturday when when a game is played, and you actually have to tackle and guys have to make uh, pass catches when you know uh, when they know they're going to get hit and laid out to, uh, sometimes, and that's you know in your head. That's going to start happening on Saturday. I think that's going to be the final that in the next two preseason games after that, and when the regular season starts, that's where we're going to finally get all of our answers. Uh, but it's hard for me to believe that Trayvon Morig isn't going to translate onto the field. His strength, his strength isn't just running around looking good in shorts and being where he needs to be and showing off the speed uh, and the agility. His strength is playing football. It's being a tough, hard-nosed guy that's going to stick his nose in there, make tackles, break up passes, come up with uh, turnovers. That's what he does. That's why he was drafted as high as he as as he was. So you got to figure that when the lights go on, that's going to be when he shines the most. Sometimes you worry, well, he looks great in shorts. He looks great here, but ooh, I don't know if he's going to be able to. Is that going to show up on the field? In 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 a guy like uh, Trayvon Morig's case, they're super excited to finally get him on the field to finally see what it exactly is they 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 went out and got when they drafted him. Uh, so I think he looks good. I think Nate Hobbs um, fits in that same category as well. Uh, he's a player that um, has checked off all the boxes in terms of being a young player and doing it the right way, practicing the right way, preparing the right way, um, doing his work in the classroom the, the right way being somebody that observes and watches, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, uh, has been where he needs to be. And he's another guy that they really believe he's going to truly show up 
when the lights go on because he does that's what he does best as well. He doesn't just look good. There's guys that look good in, you know, uh at the scouting combine, right? There's guys that look really good. They look athletic, they look fast, they could jump really high. Uh they could put up all the the great numbers and the short shuttle and this and that. But when you turn on the tape, you're like, "Well, none of that is showing up on tape." That whether it's in college or 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 whatever the case might be. And so not quite understanding like there's a big difference there's a big difference between he what he looks like physically and what he does in terms of agility and speed and all that compared to how much he produces on the football field that's what bodes well for guys like nate hobbs and 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 trayvon morig on film it looks even better than it might look in some of the agility type stuff so uh, anxious to see what that all looks like uh, when the Raiders, you know, uh, hit the field on Saturday. We'll finally get a first chance uh, to see, you know, what they look like in a real type of a, a football uh, situation. Uh, you could give us a call 702-365-9200 as we close out uh, the show. We're uh, here in the huddle. Video Monster brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur on a Monday. A big day, kind of, I guess. Uh, the first depth chart was released uh, today. It's unofficial, granted, but I think it, it offers some clues on, on where things are headed. And we talked about Tanner Muse. I've been writing a lot about Tanner Muse. Um, lo and behold, as, as what seemed to be suggested quite a bit during uh, practices, Tanner Muse, number 55, has uh, is the starter right now as the uh, outside linebacker. In base defense. Now, it means that number 44, Nick Kwiatkowski, uh, is not starting. I wouldn't read a whole lot of uh, into that. Uh, number one, I think it's a reward for Tanner for working his butt off during the offseason. I know I got texts from players telling me, dude, you got to keep an eye on number 55. He is working it here. He is working it and putting in the time. And if you remember Tanner Muse last year, third-round pick from uh, Clemson, was expected to initially uh, be a uh, a strong presence on special teams while he made the transition from college safety to NFL linebacker, but it never translated because he was hurt. He had a serious toe injury that required season-ending surgery. They tried to get through it um, after they put him on IR, hoping that he can make some sort of a you know return um, and you know maybe be able to manage the foot, but it got to a point where it was like, got to get the surgery. He's going to be out this year, but it'll put him in line uh, to be back, uh, ready to go when training camp started uh, this year. Uh, going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. We've got uh, Jerome in Las Vegas. Is this Jerome calling back or a different Jerome from Vegas? This is uh, Jerome calling back, but something different. I'm talking about. Okay. Talking about, talk about the Raiders this year. Art. Are in line to beat the Chiefs and keep them out of the Super Bowl or even out of the championship game, because just like in in seventy uh, in seventy four they beat the Dolphins to go in four in a row, in seventy six they beat the Steelers, eighty Steelers again, and then on the revenge of the tough World game, I was at that game by the way. Wow, that's cool. They they uh, they stopped the Patriots winning that game. And, and and they went to the playoffs and Patriots didn't. And Patriots probably won four Super Bowls in a row. You know, if that, if that didn't happen. But anyway, this year, they got four, four years in a row with the Kansas City Chiefs. They have to stop them. It's, it's, it's their destiny. Well, hey, um, I'm not, you know, look at 
Conventional wisdom, and thanks for the call, Jerome. I really appreciate it. Uh, conventional wisdom, you know, would suggest that the two-time defending AFC champions, Kansas City Chiefs, quarterback by Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback uh, in the NFL. No re- disrespect, Tom Brady, but I think Patrick Mahomes has that mantle uh, now, has that uh, distinction now. It, conventional wisdom would tell you that this is the Kansas City Chiefs division to lose. By no means, when I say that, does that mean the Raiders should not have the single goal in mind of throttling the Kansas City Chiefs and toppling the Kansas City Chiefs and winning the AFC West Championship? That has to be the goal. You can't go uh, into a season as players, as coaches, with any other type of a goal than that. That's flat out, and they should play with that purpose in mind. That said, if you're being honest, which I was to start the uh, this thought off, it's the Kansas City Chiefs division to lose. If um, if it breaks right for the for the Raiders, and you know uh, that's that's great, and that's I'm sure everybody wants to see that happen. No question. If you're a Raider fan, you want to win the AFC West Championship. Anything can happen. All you know, uh, football seasons take. All sorts of twists and turns. A lot of factors play into it, including injuries. Uh, sometimes magic happens. Sometimes the pixie dust has been, uh, you know, uh, uh, put on you, and you have a special season. A lot can happen. But conventional wisdom would suggest that this is the Chiefs' division until further notice. And so, if you're the Raiders, realistically. Uh, you're starting to think probably if you want to get to the playoffs, the best bet is the AFC wild card. Uh, and there's plenty of opportunity, I believe, uh, to get to get there. And they play an ambitious schedule that puts them in line and head to head, really, with a lot of teams that they're going to play, that they're going to deal with in the AFC wild card. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Butter. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I'm just going to say, nice trusty music there, Bobby. I like it. Uh, I'm just going to say that uh, if you're a football geek, which I am, I mean, I guess I have to be when you cover the uh, a team as the beat writer for, uh, and in my case, Las Vegas Review Journal, call, uh, you know, uh, covering the Raiders. Y- you have to like just be like on, try to be on top of everything. Sometimes things fall through the cracks; it happens, uh, but you just have to be just dive into it. All right, and and accept that it's going to be part of your life, like literally, especially when the season comes around, especially right now when you're trying to size up the roster and training camp and all that. But if you're a football geek like I am, and I know that there's plenty uh, of you guys and gals out there that share that geeky uh, part of uh, me that exists, if you are, then today was kind of a big day in a weird sort of a way. Uh, The first official, unofficial, whatever you want to call it, depth chart was released by the Raiders ahead of their preseason game Saturday night against the uh, Seattle Seahawks over at Allegiant Stadium. Can't wait for that, by the way. And it's interesting because, you know, you're you're trying to figure out just based on where guys slot and fit in the um in uh the, you know the 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 depth chart 
whether your eyes were correct in training camp when you made observations or saw things or read into things, uh, whatever the case might be. Uh, and I, you know, in part of part of what I do in my job, you got to do the detective work, uh, the behind the scenes work to try to figure out what does this mean? Why did that happen? What happened in practice? You know, far beyond the microphones and all that that you see. Um, you know, when we talk to players and coaches uh, at the podium and whatnot, it goes much deeper than that. You have to be if you're, um, you know, good at what you do. It's just it's just the way it goes, and the people that you're dealing with understand that. So, but it was still interesting to finally see it officially where guys um, fit in the uh, in the, in the uh, depth chart, specifically as it relates to defense. I think we all understood, and I think this is a good sign for the Raiders, and we'll just go through the first-team offense just for to go through that exercise. But I don't think it's any surprise that Henry Ruggs is listed as one of the starting uh, wide receivers. We'll go right down. Uh, Henry Ruggs at wide receiver, Colton Miller at left tackle, Richie Incognito at left guard, Andre James at center, Denzel Good at right guard, Alex Leatherwood, the rookie, at right tackle, Tight end Darren Waller um, is the starting tight end, obviously. Uh, Brian Edwards is the starting wide receiver. Hunter Renfro is a starting wide receiver. Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, fullback Alec Ingold. Um, keep in mind that uh, many of those guys will not play if or will play very little, if at all, uh, on the preseason opener against the Seattle Seahawks. It's the preseason opener. Read, you know, that's that's pretty obvious. You're not going to put all your guys out there, especially for any length of time. Um, so, but that looks like what it's going to look like when the season opener opens uh, September 13th. I think that's a pretty good representation of what the starting unit will look like. I'd be almost shocked if there were any changes uh, to that um, first team. Second team, John Brown, Brandon Parker, John Simpson, Nick Martin, Patrick Omea. That's a little bit of a difference. Uh, Jared Jones-Smith at a tackle, Foster Moreau at tight end, Zay Jones as a wide receiver, Willie Sneed uh, at another wide receiver, Marcus Mariota, and Kenyon Drake, uh, the running back, and Garrick uh, Groshek as the fullback. So I think that looks pretty reasonable. Let's go to defense. So this is where it gets a little interesting if you're if you're keeping chart of these type of things. Unique Ngakwe, defensive end, Jonathan Hankins, defensive ta- or nose tackle, Quinton Jefferson, defensive tackle, Max Crosby is the other defensive end, um, strong side linebacker Tanner Muse. We t- uh, we'll get to him in one second. Weak side linebacker Corey Littleton, cornerback Trayvon Mullen, cornerback Casey Hayward Jr., slot cornerback Nevin Lawson, free safety Trayvon Morig, strong safety Jonathan Abram. I think this has a chance to look pretty darn close to what it's going to look like when the season opens September 13th against uh, the Baltimore Ravens. And Tanner Muse, wow, the guy who'd never played last year because of a toe injury starting at strong side linebacker. Read a lot into that, but also read into this. Understand this. This is their base defense. You rarely, I mean, that's probably, you probably paid play uh, base defense the least percentage of the time in a game. Most often you're defending the pass. So you've got more cornerbacks. You're taking linebackers off the field. Um, you know, you're, so you're, so you're just, you, you're, you look different based on whether it's in base, which is often what you do against a power run team or early in down of series because you think they're going to run and you, you know, you switch to a more fleet uh, defense to defend the pass in passing situations. But getting back to Tanner Muse, I truly believe that he is, you know, it's going to, it's his job to lose now, but being that strong side linebacker to start drives. And I think that when you look at 
the whole scheme of things. Look at the defensive ends, Unique Ngakwe and Max Crosby. Both players do well rushing the passers. Historically, both players aren't as good against the run. So how do you, as a coach, protect your defensive ends who aren't as strong against the run? Well, you put a linebacker alongside them on the strong side of the formation who can help against the run. And that is Tanner Muse, who is every bit the six foot two, 230 pounds or so, 227, 230 pounds. He's listed uh, on the on the roster. What the Raiders, I think, are doing in those early down situations where you're expecting run more than you might be expecting pass is you're putting a strong run defender alongside a weak or weaker run defender defensive end. You're giving that defensive end help. The key is Tanner Muse, the former safety from Clemson, is also fleet of foot enough that should the offense go against the grain and not run the ball on them on first down, let's say first and 10 and throw the ball. Tanner Muse is good is, is, is agile enough to then drop back in pass coverage. And I've seen that time and time again, when he's on the field in base defense and Derek Carr calls, uh, you know, maybe checks out of a run play to a pass play. That means now Tanner Muse has to defend either a tight end, sometimes a running back, a wide receiver, whatever the case might be. He does that pretty well because that's what he did in college. Uh, so I think they're bringing Tanner Muse along. They're getting him on the field to be a run support, strong side linebacker outside Yannick Ngakwe or uh, Max Crosby, depending on where the offense goes in terms of the power lineup. And it's going to help uh, against the run. But don't think for a second that Nick Kwiatkowski is on the outs, that Nick Kwiatkowski is losing his job, that Nick Kwiatkowski isn't going to get a lot of playing time because he is. Uh, when the Raiders move to a more you know um, nickel-type type look, dime-type look, Nick Kwiatkowski has been on the field. So is Javin White. And so uh, keep an eye on number 53 as well. I think he's going to get some playing time this year. But Nick Kwiatkowski is in the mix. He's going to be on the field. This is the base defense that we see with Tanner Muse as a starting strong sign linebacker. But when it gets out of base, which is the majority of time, Nick Kwiatkowski uh, will be out there. But to me, it's a good start for Tanner Muse. He's a guy who missed all of his rookie year last year. Uh, because he um, was hurt. He had a a major toe injury that needed surgery uh, that took a long time uh, to finally recover. Uh, But he's put the work in. He's put last year behind him. Uh, He's showing the athletic ability they showed at Clemson. Uh, He's showing that, at least in practice, that he could be an asset in run defense. Um, So, you know, just keep an eye on Tanner Muse, and I think it's a good start for the youngster uh, from Clemson that he's been, he was able to mentally deal with what happened last year. I know a lot of fans were like, what a waste of draft pick. What a bust. You can't call a guy that missed a season because he had season-ending surgery as a bust. That just doesn't make any sense. Wait till you see him on the field first before you make that proclamation. Hey, want to say thanks to um, Eddie Pascal, our great friend from Raiders.com. Thank you uh, for uh, for joining us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. Always do. Thanks to all the callers. You brought it on a Monday. Truly appreciate the passion, the energy, and even the insight. Uh, always appreciate that. Thank you to all the listeners uh, for for uh, always being there. You're why we do this. The numbers are strong. We really appreciate it. Thanks for, to Bobby Machado for uh, stepping in 
uh, pinch hitting, uh, or no, actually relief pitching, I should say. He came in about the eighth inning. Yeah, the closer. He closed. And uh, it was a spotless, beautiful ninth inning. Three up, three down. We truly appreciate it, Bobby. And thanks, obviously, to Devon Cotton, who made a great start, too. You're in the huddle of Vinny Bonsier, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. See you tomorrow, 4 to 6.